You owe me money, blacksmith. How do you figure? My horse threw a shoe. And seeing as you was the one that done the shoe, and I say that makes you responsible. Well, since you never paid me for the job, I say that makes us even. Wrong! See, I was on my horse when it threw the shoe, and I got thrown off. And that caused me to bust a perfectly good bottle of fine Kentucky Red Eye. So the way I figure it, Blacksmith, you owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. That's $80. Look, if your horse threw a shoe, bring him back and I'll re-shoe him. And don't shot that horse! Well, that's your problem, Tannen. Wrong. That's yours. So from now on, you better be looking behind you when you walk. Because one day you're going to get a bullet in your back. Marty, I gave you explicit instructions not to come here, but to go directly back to 1985. I know, Doc, but I had to come. But it's good to see you, Marty. Marty, you're gonna have to do something about those clothes. You walk around town dressed like that, you're liable to get shot. Or hanged. What idiot dressed you in that outfit? You did. Rolling like a freight train through the night. I can't get your scent up off my skin. I'm a loser, girl. I'm a little short on I wish I knew just how to treat you right Oh, I need some medicine I feel your body next to him I lock like lovers in the night I better prepare for another hard drinking night What will whiskey do? We won't make things right Well, I better get my gun He's out of how the whistle's So what have we got for the people next week? Okay, so next week is going to be the um, 
last part of our um, untitled John Milius Marathon with a uh, full-length commentary of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, so we're not we're not going to miss a week. Uh, we're going to give, still give you a show, but um, we're not. Even though technically we did kind of miss last week, I suppose yeah, we kind, kind of did slightly because this will be this will be Friday when this goes out. So we kind of did miss a week there. Um, so, right, without further ado, uh, well, before I get into that, uh, contact us on at Dude and the Monkey, at DudeFoz, at Ian Loring, or DudeandTheMonkey at gmail.com. Ian, anything to add? Nah, man, serious. Cool, right. Uh, so, what trailers have you watched this week, Ian? Okay, uh, I have watched the trailer for Kill the Messenger, which uh, is an okay looking, based on true life. Um, uh, uh, buddy um, Jeremy Renner and uh, who else was it? Was it David Morrissey? There's was... a lot of people in oh, oh, like Some guy was his editor and I can't remember who now. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was. Um, and, you know, it looks alright. It, it kind of looks like one of those kind of like mid-level slightly trying to be Oscar Beatty but doesn't look quite polished enough or good enough frankly to be considered an, uh, like an Oscar-y kind of film so, yeah. it's one of those where it'll either just kind of it'll be 95 minutes and it'll sort of slip by and people will barely even notice it or it'll be 2 hours 20 minutes and everyone will go holy fuck this is great yeah it, yeah I, I think the trailer doesn't give an indication of which way it's going to go but mm. hey um, massive cast though yeah 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 um Trailer for the Book of Life, which uh, is an interesting-looking um, CG animated film, which kind of I can't I, I don't suppose it was, but it kind of looks like it's inspired by the game Guacamelee. Um, <laughs> the the art style was very very much like that, but then again, it's all or kind of like even Grim Fandango, the the old PC game. But um, yeah, it, but you know, it, it, but then again, I mean, like that's it's all kind of like a classical kind of look of that that kind of thing anyway but um looks fun i'm up for this one um so we'll see it kind of looks like it's gonna just have a bit more kind of wit and soul to it than a lot of films aimed at kids so um good on it um yeah looks interesting um what if uh which i'm not really interested in at all there was adam driver said something right at the start of the trailer that made me laugh but that was kind of about it um Kind of oh, like was, just... was that the the nachos thing? Yeah, I think it was, but I can't even remember it now. So that kind of maybe says it wasn't that great. Yeah, it, it looks it, it looks like a, a a a shit version of when Harry met Sally. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, totally. Um, but hey, you know, I, I do like Daniel Radcliffe, so who knows? Yeah, I I I, I do as well. So it is one of those where I won't rush to see it at the cinema or anything. But I, you know, I I probably will catch it at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite. Um, uh, also saw the trailer for A Walk Among the Tombstones, which uh, I don't know. It's Liam Neeson doing his Liam Neeson thing, even though it looks to go maybe a tad like maybe not supernatural, but kind of horror-y. Um, it, it, yeah. I, I was I watched the same this trailer as well and was kind of watching it going oh god Liam Neeson has to go and find somebody and there's a thing on a tape haven't we seen this quite a lot recently and then it started to go to the place and I thought oh do you know what maybe actually <laughs> yeah I mean I can't say I don't think I'd be rushing out to see it unless the words like amazing on it but I'll, I'll 
I watch it. It's like non-stop. I watched non-stop last week, and it's just one of those films you can just stick on. Yeah, you know, it, it, it kind of seems you know, like. I think that that this this looks like it could be one of those. And then yeah, totally. what's become a Liam Neeson film now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't really expect him to be in anything else. But, I mean, yeah. obviously, he was in a million ways to die in the West, and we'll talk about that. But it, it does just kind of seem his his kind of ballpark now. Um, also, uh, the trailer for uh, Hercules, the uh, the Brett Ratner. Dwayne Johnson film. It kind of just feels like the the, the slightly n- no mark of summer 2014. Just like no one's talking about it. It doesn't seem like there's been that many that there's been that many um, uh, like articles about it or like internet chat about it. It just kind of looks like it's there. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I think it'll arrive, and I think I think it'll do it'll do good business because. Dwayne Johnson, you know, does good business. Oh no, totally. I mean, the, the trailer itself. I mean, I think it looks, it looks all right. You know, yeah. it, it it looks a bit mental, and I like the idea of the forces of Hades fucking rising up and having a pop at the rock. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah, it, that's it, a fun it, idea to me. It, yeah, it, it does. It looks all right, and you're looking going, do you know what? Yeah, the rock is Hercules. That makes sense. This looks all right. But there's always that overbearing thing of the fact that you go, oh, but it's a Brett Ratner film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, that's totally that as well. But um, I, I, I don't know. It looks like it looks like something ever so slightly different for the summer. And um, I think it comes out in like August or something over here. And that kind of feels right. I like the kind of the dead, the the dead zone of summer where everything's just kind of winding down yeah and you've got you've got this that kind of feels appropriate to me because isn't it doesn't it come out the because it comes out i think july in the states doesn't it and yeah. it comes out the week the weekend before bank holiday weekend over here i think yeah something like that yeah so it's it just like i think yeah i think it's like the week after expendables free or something so yeah. that yeah it kind of feels like the, an end of summer film like it's just it's not quite big enough to really like be in like may or june but it doesn't it feels like it's too big for like february or october yeah I, I, it's very much a film because let's be honest a lot of the you know the the superhero movies that we get that are now the big temple they're aimed at you know that they'll they know they'll get the the teenage audience, but they're actually they're aimed at people between the ages of twenty eight and forty. Yeah, is where they're aimed. Hercules is aimed at. Oh, do you know what? Do you know who's gonna go and watch this? Twelve to fourteen year old boys who are not at school. Yeah, they'll all go and watch it. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, quite. I mean, I, I, I won't lie. If it's the only thing out that week, and um. I mean, if it is Fright Fest week, I suppose I'd probably be at Fright Fest. But if it if it's not, and it's the only thing out that week, I won't begrudge going to see it. No, I mean, but, yeah, if, if it's the only thing out that week, we'll we'll probably cover it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. But I I can't say I'm I'm not chomping at the bit. No, no. If something good comes out on VOD that weekend, we'll probably go. Oh, good, yeah. let's do that instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. But um, yeah, I think that's about it for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, like I've spoken about a couple that I saw. Uh, couple one in um, is the trailer for Very Good Girls, uh, the Dakota Fanning and Elizabeth Olsen film. 
Uh, it looks incredibly generic. Um, won't be won't be tracking it down ASAP. I'll say that. Uh, and the trailer for uh, Lullaby. Um, the uh, who is it that's in that? Can't remember. I only watched it like about an hour ago as well. <laughs> okay. Um, I know that it's got what's the name in it? Uh, Amy Adams in it, and it's got uh, Garrett Headland. That's it. Um, and you've also got a few, a few others. People like uh, Jennifer Hudson, it, Terrence Howard in it. And um, fucking hell! Yeah, it, it look, looks all right. Doesn't look brilliant. Um, know, what's his fucking name? It's gonna bug this shit out. Richard. I don't know, mate, I'm sorry. It's got Rich Jenkins. That's it. Oh right, bloody hell! Okay. This shit out, mate. Could, could, could see, could picture him. I could picture all the letters that were in his name, but my brain won't put them together. Um. So yeah, it look, looks it looks alright, but this one, you know what you were saying about Kill the Messenger, where it looks a little bit awards baity. This looks like it's going. Hey, look, you know, there's gonna be, we know there's gonna be a lot of films with more famous people in it that'll get more buzz than we're gonna get. But you know, we've got Amy Adams in our film, and it, it, you know everything is all the cast are brought up as Academy Award nominated, Academy Award winner, and it's oh, really. Oh yeah, okay. It's, it's a little bit like that. Um, so yeah, other than that, not a not a an awful lot sort of came out really this week uh, in terms of that. I did watch one for a film called School Dance, which just looks fucking awful. Just looks horrible. Um, but I was just flicking through trailers, just going down the list of new trailers, and was just clicking on all of them and sort of stuff. I actually I thought it was a, a, a like a a straight to VOD horror film, and it, it's not. It's not at all. It's a terrible looking piece of shit. Um, so yeah, that was uh, trailers, uh, and we're gonna play a trailer now for A Million Ways to Die in the West, and then we'll we'll get into it. Oh hey, look, it's the ice. Why is it so big? So it doesn't melt. It's actually really interesting how they do it. It's this one company out in Boston that. <laughs> South so fast! Oh! The American West is a terrible place in time. Everything out here that's not you wants to kill you. Angry drunk people, hungry animals, outlaws. Oh, the fucking doctor. I couldn't save her. She had a splinter. Doc, what the hell were you supposed to do? I would like to welcome a new member to our community. Welcome to our awesome town. What's with this fair? Every year people die. Really? Everybody hold still. Oh! Hold still! People die at the fair. People die at the fair. Somebody in this town is going to die. Oh my God, somebody's going to get fucked up. Please don't shoot us on sex night. You beat this guy at a gunfight, you're going to be a real hero. He's the most vicious gunfighter in the territory. I'm going to teach you how to shoot. I just broke up with her. Quick, just pretend you're my girlfriend. I'm his girlfriend. A lot of sexual activity. All the time. It's I I live inside her. So if you want to send me a letter, you gotta address it care of her vagina. Yep. What? She 
Aim up. Get ready. I'm about to shoot a full load at your cans. Shut the fuck up. Oh, hey. This one man wanted me to smoke a cigar and then like ash on his balls while I'm jerking him off and it was just like, what? Can I do this? But I did. Wow. See, your job is so interesting because no two days are alike. I know you're here, Stark. What do you say is steal a bottle of whiskey and we hit the road? I love that idea. Your dick's out. Oh! A million ways to die in the West. Maybe the frontier is not so bad after all. Hey! It's a sweet young couple. Can I interest you folks in a miracle cure? <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, yeah, you heard a trailer for the uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West, the uh, second uh, feature film from uh, Family Guy and American Dad Helmer, Seth MacFarlane. Uh, it's the follow-up, but not actually a follow-up, to uh, the phenomenally successful Ted from a couple of years ago. That Ian, you you quite enjoyed, didn't you? And I was. I'm all right with Ted. Yeah, I was. Uh, didn't really enjoy it the first time, but kind of dug it the second time i think it was i kind of got it a lot a little bit more the second time um many ways to die in the west set in 19 sorry 19 in 1882 in the um the old west in arizona in a place called old stump uh it's been pretty much panned by everybody but ian um does a million ways to die in the west um capture the imagination of other um, great horror uh, comedy westerns like Blazing Saddles, Maverick and Lightning Jack for you? Uh, I'm going to try and stop giving my reactions to people's reactions to films. I think I'm just going to try and say my stuff and let it just like hang my uh, hang my meat in the wind yeah. as such. Um, I thought Million Ways to Die in the West was fine, to be honest. I thought it was all right. Um, I don't... I, I wasn't busting a gut throughout the entire thing. Um, it is indulgent in, in a few ways, which... Uh, it, 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 primarily the time, the length. And, the, you know, you've got an opening credit sequence that's a good four or five minutes long. And... It looks like the locations are nice, but then it's just that and credits, and it's a bit, I don't know, I, it, it feels inappropriate for, for what the film is. But um, I laughed more than enough. Um, it's not the comedy, I don't think it would be like the funniest comedy of the year or anything like that, um, but I thought it was, I thought it was all right, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, what we'll say, you know, well, there's, there's going to be a fair amount of spoilers within this in terms of cameos and everything like that. So remember, we are all spoilers all the time. So if you don't want to know some of the cameos that appear uh, throughout A Million Ways to Die in the West or any of the other various plot points, which, let's face it, you all fucking know anyway from a trailer, um, then please skip along. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with A Million Ways to Die in the West, to be honest. It kept me uh, laughing pretty much 
uh, throughout. I uh, completely agree. It is, it is massively self-indulgent, but I think um, Seth MacFarlane is making these feature films um, as a bit of an indulgence, really. He doesn't he doesn't really need to. He's got, you know, he's he's got two quite successful um, TV shows on the go at the moment. Um, these seem like it's something that, it, that he's going to go out there and he's going to make them, you know, because he wants to. Um, he'll he will get money to make films. You know, this thing cost forty million dollars, which is pretty mid budget, but he knows he can call in favors for people to to come and do it. I think it's it is too long. Uh, without question, there are bits in it that don't quite don't quite sit, that don't quite work. There's bits when I was going, yeah, this is a little bit not feeling this bit for sort of like points of um, five ten minutes at a time. Um, certain bits, certain characters don't quite work, uh, and there's maybe a few too many. But overall, um, it's it's not as it's not as nasty and offensive as, as, as I found Ted at points. Um, I mean, it's still quite offensive, but it, it's a little bit repetitive. The, but... uh, the sexual stuff is a lot less than in Ted, I think. Yeah. And the kind of like the, 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 the kind of the leery nature yeah. of Ted, um, yeah. I, I think is like, like Charlize Theron's character is the, like it, it is the strongest character in the film, basically. But, She's never really seen as a sex object or, or or anything like that. And I mean, McFarlane's character's relationship with her, I mean, it's not based on a on a physicality. It's weirdly, it is kind of like two just like minded people like connecting. Yeah. Which is different, you know. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, and it's it's more there's in the terms of the comedy in it, there's like you said, there's not a lot of absolute outright belly laughs, but there's a lot of great, I thought, throwaway kind of comedy within it. Where there's there's, there's one liners, um, a, a great one was was really I found really early on was where he first we first introduced to his parents, and he comes in and he comes into the house and his dad says you're late, and he goes for what? And his dad just goes fair enough. And yeah. for some reason, that just had me, you know, that was in the first sort of five minutes. And that kind of, at that point, I thought, all right, that's the kind of comedy we're going to get. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that kind of, uh, of, of that kind of vibe that we're going to dig out. Um, and so I, it, 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 it was a lot of kind of like sort of smirk laughs and little laughs that ran through it. And I quite enjoyed that to it. And it felt, it felt like, McFarlane was having a little bit of fun rather than showing off, which I felt he was doing sometimes with Ted. Like in Ted, at a point, he was kind of testing how far he could take this character, um, and it was refreshing as well to actually spend some time with with Seth MacFarlane, um, not with a Seth MacFarlane character or creation uh, that he's given off. Um, he's not hiding behind a drawing or a, a CGI bear. Yeah, quite. And I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think McFarlane is an endearing enough presence in this. He never makes himself look like the badass or something. You can't say, I don't think you could say his acting performance here is driven out of ego. I mean, yes, it, you know, he does get to get with Char Charlize Theron. 
but that makes but sense to the, the whole it, it story. Does actually, yeah. yeah, it does actually make sense in, in the story itself. And I mean, the, the, the rest of the time, he's just not, he's just the wrong man in the in the wrong time. Yeah, it, and, it, and, and that's it. He doesn't have a great big heroic payoff bit in it. Even when he does, and you're thinking, well, here's the heroic payoff. They kind of, somebody takes a big shit in his bubble uh, of, of the, well, you, you know, he's dead. Like, well, did anyone, did he hear any of it? No, he's been dead for a while now. And it's, you know, it's, he just, he, he comes, he, he gets the girl just by being a normal guy. You know, and there's, I mean, it starts off um, with that, the voiceover bit. And it does kind of make you think, and it actually says, you know, you get a guy who's born in the wrong time. And you start to think, is there going to be some kind of, you know, that he's that he's there and he shouldn't be there kind of thing going on? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is weird that it is just that he is totally just a today, a person from today in this situation. But I think you kind of just have to go with it because if you if you don't go with that, then you're just not going to get, you're not going to have a chance of getting on with the film. And it's quite a long film. So we're, it's good to have a chance of getting on with it. I mean, one guy in my audience literally left in the opening 10 minutes. Whoa. And it's just, <laughs> I can't think of anything, of anything that bad. What, that I, I, that. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, it just either. He realized he was in the wrong film hmm. But then again, with that opening credit sequence, which takes a fair bit of time, I think it makes quite clear what film it is. Um, but I, I, I do wonder if it's just that people don't know what to expect, even though I think the marketing of the film doesn't lie. I think the marketing very much is what the film is. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, it, yeah. it, it just I, I don't I don't quite get that i mean i know i said i wasn't going to talk about people's reactions but i will say that almost maybe it's me it probably is me reading into it but that kind of felt like someone doing that and leaving so they could legitimately say oh i'm going ways to die in the west was shit i left in the open in 10 minutes yeah i mean it, it, the thing uh, it, you know that baffled me about reaction was that the people did seem to be um did seem to be kind of <coughs> criticizing the comedy of it um, and it's like it's a fucking Seth MacFarlane film. Have you ever seen any of his any of his work? And this is this is what you get with him. Um, and you know he's brought on a, a pretty interesting you know cast as well with him. You know bringing in people like I mean you've got Jim Anderson who, who was there before. Um, Neil Patrick Harris I think overdoes it a little bit too much in this film at point, but I think that that's just how he is. That's just the type of that performer he is. And I think it's more that. I no problem with Neil Patrick Harris. I, I just I don't get him as a performer. He doesn't he doesn't do anything for me. Um, I, I quite like Neil Patrick Harris, and I mean I'll be honest, the little How I Met Your Mother reference in there, I yeah, quite I, enjoyed I, as I, well. I won't have got any of that. <laughs> there's there's a bit where he says challenge accepted, and that's like a Barney catchphrase. All right, yeah, um, yeah. You see, I, I, I'm just I'm not. He doesn't. Doesn't offend me, Neil Patrick Harris. I just, I just, I don't see why people adore him as much as they do. That's what I mean. He, I, I think he does what I, I think he kind of just does what he does. Mm. Um, 
I think in in comedy he very much plays that kind of role, and I don't like the kind of the the, the suave ladies man. And I don't know whether he's really capable of doing anything else. Like his worst moments in How I Met Your Mother is when he's got to try and be something else. Mm. Like there's a slightly brutal moment in the final episode of How I Met Your Mother where he's got to do something else, and it just it doesn't sing at all. But but I mean, yeah, I mean, the Giovanni Ribisi and Sarah Silverman stuff, I probably could have done without. I could have done with a lot less of it. Yeah, that's that's one joke that's repeated quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. Even though I I do like even I I, I will even though saying that I do like in, in the way that they have their discussion at one point, and then somebody just like screams from upstairs, "Hey, let's fuck!" Like, <laughs> okay, coming. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I think we just. You yeah. know, I, it, there are. That's the thing. Like I it my sense of humour can be very, very juvenile at times. Yes. And stuff I, I, like that tickles me. Yeah, I, it, this is toilet humour at, at, at its finest, uh, really, um, with the mini ways out of the West. And I'm... It's not... It's not crass. Uh, it's not... Well, it is crass, but it's not uh, offensively crass toilet humour. It's very base, but it's not it's not like Project X toilet humour. It's yeah. not dick and fucking gay jokes and shit like that. It's just it is very kind of base. But it, it, it if you're on board with it, it works really well. Um, right, big thing of the film was cameos. Um, what did you think of the, the many cameos we got in this film? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I liked I, I liked Django. I thought that was fine. I mean, I, kind of Jamie Foxx just kind of like said the line like he didn't really know what the fuck he was talking about. Um, but I thought that was kind of fun. I kind of saw just when someone was coming up and it was the the, the slave run thing. Yeah, I, I was I was just kind of thinking, right? Yeah, Django. Well, as 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 really as sad as it is. You know, when it, it comes, I thought there's going to be a post credits in this. And then when he, when I saw the boot go down, I thought, that's Django's costume. Yeah, yeah. Which is sad that I recognised it from the boot. And I was like, and then in my no, brain, I, I, then my brain just, sorry, what's that? I, I was the same, actually. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah good. Glad I'm, not, glad I'm not the only sad person. Um, and then my brain just went, oh, if, if, this is, if this is actually Jamie Foxx, this is brilliant. Uh, yeah, so that one got me. Um, I enjoyed the uh, the Doc Brown one. Yeah, I mean, again, a little bit pointless, but fun. But fun, yeah, just fun. It, it, it just that just worked as fun, uh, despite the fact that it's the wrong year. Um, oh, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, it's eighty five. Yeah, and this is an eighty two. But then again, it's time travel, so it could actually have been then. So. And also, just stop being mingy and go with it. It's fun to see Doc Brown. Exactly. It, it, was, it was fun that they didn't make anything more of it other than that. Yeah. Um, the Gilbert Gottfried as Abraham Lincoln. Uh, oh, I actually quite enjoyed that. Was that was, I forgot about that. That was gold. Yeah, and then the great moment where, he, where, he, where you had him sort of go, I don't think that was actually Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Oh God, what's it he says? Uh, I'm fucking rich. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I used to be poor like you, schmucks. 
But now I'm fucking the president and I am rich. <laughs> um, Ryan Reynolds was just wonderful in that. Yeah, oh, my I. God, I forgot about that as well. I mean, good good on Seth MacFarlane for being... Because that's the kind of the self-indulgence that I could see rubbing people up uh, uh, up the wrong way. But again, if you if you kind of go with it, I think there is some joy to be had with that. that yeah, I enjoyed that too. Yeah, the fact that he, the fact that he just pulls this... The, this, this like, basically the same face he pulls in Ted and then gets yeah. shot. And that's it. Yeah. Um, I didn't catch. I'm gonna. I didn't catch um, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor is 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 in it for. A, you can see him doing something in the background at the fair, apparently. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't catch Ewan McGregor, so I will catch that upon a repeat watch. Um, the only bit I I think that really really missed for me was the um, the freak out kind of drug bit. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I, mean, it. I yeah, it was okay. It was I, it, it was the only bit where I went. Um, I'm bored of this now. I want I want to get to the end now. <laughs> the, the 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 thing the thing about that and the thing about the third act in general is that it kind of feels like the material is stuff that should be in the end of the second act, mm. like his kind of realization that he's that like he could be a hero, but instead you get that there, and it's kind of weirdly. The the, the 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 final third of the film feels kind of weirdly structured for me. I think, um, I think there's definitely I think there's definitely stuff being cut out of that. Uh, yeah, because yeah. his mother dies all of a sudden. Oh yeah, that's right. They just come back and he's just like, oh, father went to go bury himself by by next mother up the hill mother. or something. Yeah, yeah, which I thought was quite funny actually. But it, yeah, I mean, it's. The th- I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, the film is already too long. Mm. And I'm kind of glad that they did cut stuff out. But I almost kind of wish they skimmed a bit more out of, like, the second act or something. I just... Um, like, the, the moustache song, I wasn't massive on, I must uh, say. It, um, you, you know there's going to be a song dance number in the film. But, yeah, I was a little bit... It, 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 it just it, it could have been toned down a little bit. Yeah, it just I I think because that bit it was just another scene of of him and Neil Patrick Harris kind of sparring, and it was you didn't really need. I mean, I I don't think you really needed that. It just I do I do just wish it was shorter. I mean, I think it was 118 minutes or something. Uh, yeah, one 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 eighteen or one sixteen. Yeah, and it, it just it it, it 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 feels it. It really, I mean, it really feels it. And I was kind of checking my phone towards the end, um, but I, I but I I mean, like I say, I certainly didn't hate it. I mean, like re- remembering some of the stuff you mentioning actually has kind of endeared me to it more. I yeah. think. And also, I mean, I will say there is some cl- more clever stuff there. I thought there was a really good bit where um, the kid had the stick in the ball. And he was talking to Giovanni Ribisi about how they'd shown studies that kids with like playing with sticks and balls like they get ADD. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and just I, I don't know. I, I, I thought there was stuff like that that was good. And just um, like Seth MacFarlane's extended bit about like in the start about the things that can kill you in the West, and when he like like, like they go outside and the wolves are there with like the mayor's body. And yeah. Hi like, wolves. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, the, the great way he's pointing at the mayor saying he's been there for three days. 
Yeah. Yeah. There was. I mean, I'm. I'm a definitely not shit on it. Um. I. I actually really enjoyed it quite a lot. To be honest, the more I think about it, it, it I thought it was a very, in a, in a weird way, it was quite a nice film to watch. Yeah, I was Saturday quarter past ten in the morning showing it eased me into the weekend very well. I was yeah, I was pleased. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely not shit. I'm not. I'm. I'm certainly not shouting to the rooftops. I'm not. I'm not gonna say it's not like this year's John Carter for me, where, or or even like Transcendence, I suppose, would be this year's John Carter for me, where it's just like I genuinely don't see where people are coming from. If people don't like A Million Ways to Die in the West, that's absolutely fair enough. But I would maybe ask, what were you expecting? Yeah, that that yeah, I mean exactly the same on that. Yeah, pretty much exactly what I'd say about it. Um. So yeah, Million Ways to Die in the West, uh, two definitely not shit um, yep. for uh, Stephen Farr's latest offering. Uh, we'll give you some um, promos, some podcasts that we uh, like and hope you like, and then we'll come back for uh, some one old, one new. Okay, uh, there were some promos, uh, uh, other podcasts, uh, including somebody you... It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage shit. You'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> And romance. Now he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents. You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS podcast. Join me, Noel Mellor, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and hard cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. I'm Sarah from GorePress.com, and along with my co-host Phil, we present the GorePress Gorecast. But Sarah, what is the GorePress Gorecast? Well, Phil, I'm glad you asked. 
It's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Go- oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake! No, that is not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where could I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new Gorepress Gorecast in iTunes or you can find us at gorepress.com. So much knowledge about this film. You might hear from quite soon. Um, Ian, do you want to hit us with your one old, one new? Yes, indeed. Um, just having a look through, actually, because I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. Um, Okay, I'll just mention I'll just mention briefly uh, my one old I'll do first. Um, so I'll just I'll just say I rewatched The Master, um, oh, Boy on Blu-ray um, as part of the Five for Thirty, because um, I've been kind of itching to rewatch The Master for ages because basically I've had people telling me I'm wrong for about the last year and a half. <laughs> um, I I started out on The Master. I looked at my letterbox score. I gave it seven out of ten when I first watched it. So I didn't hate it. Yeah, yeah, we did. Neither of us hated it. We just, I think we just weren't as enamoured as others. Mm, quite, and I mean, like it was one of the first reviews we actually did on the show as well. I mean, I think it's the first time we've done an old, and it's actually been something we've covered on the show previously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I will just say quickly on it because actually I might just squeeze a couple of olds in. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, okay, cool. So yeah, I mean, I will say I liked it more on rewatch, um, but. I still find the final third or so a little bit disappointing. I think it just it just kind of ends, and the the final meeting between uh, the master and Freddy, I I'm not quite satisfied enough with. Um, and I also think I think that's also because Amy Adams's character, who is the master, is the master mm. really. Um, I mean, there's one scene where he's typing away and she's saying you know we've we've got to come at them we've we've got to come out fighting where i think you could you could read it as him kind of like typing out his book while she's monologuing Mm. but i kind of also think you could read it as he is the he's taking dictation yeah um which uh which i think is fascinating the way you can read her and i mean obviously the scene where she's wanking him off and saying like no more boozing Mm. you know it's I, and again, I mean, after that, I don't think you see him drink again for the rest of the film, basically. Um, so, and it is quite prevalent throughout the rest, you know, throughout the beginning of the film. Through the start of it, yeah. I mean, their whole relationship is based on the fact that Freddie can make um, great drinks, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I, the, the final third, it, I mean, there's also the fact that, and I still, I, th- I think maybe it's supposed to be that you're not supposed to get it, but I kind of wish I did. Where Freddie has the dream where he's in the cinema and he gets the phone call, mm. and then and then he goes he goes over to England. And I I wish I I just 
I could have actually done maybe with a bit more hand-holding there, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, that's the final scene. Just the fact that Amy Adams is just kind of in the background and it, it just kind of feels like she has been the one. And it, it I can't help but feel the the, la- the end of the film slightly under underserves her. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's fantastic looking. The atmosphere of it is kind of one of a kind. Um, the... I remember not really liking the scene where um, they're at the, uh, Laura Dern's house and he's making Freddie kind of go through the trials, like where he's going from one side of the room to the next and kind of saying what he like feels. Mm. Um, and and that, that bit kind of goes on. But I kind of, I, I think the, the build up uh, and, and the kind of the repetition in that is deliberate. And um, I, it's, I, I think it's a better film than I originally gave it credit for. I will also say one flat out, one of the best looking Blu-rays I own. Oh, is it? Look nice. It is stunning because it was shot on seventy millimeters. Yeah. So there's there's so much detail inherent in that image that you watch it and there's just a lovely, lovely bit of grain and the amount of fucking detail in 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 the image is amazing. Oh, well, I'm it, it's like that then. <laughs> yeah, you you get a little bit a nerd to HD. And then every now and then you watch a transfer. It's like fucking hell. Mm. The, the master has one of those transfers. Yeah, get a good it because it can, can, can re-surprise you guys. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. So, um, but yeah, that's the master. I, it's a solid four out of five for me now. It could well go up on rewatches, and but I, I'm way more up for a rewatch than I was when I after I'd finished it the first time. So there you go. Um, I will also say briefly, I rewatched Rush. Um, which I, 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 it was a well-liked film of last year, but it kind of still feels like it's one of the more underrated films of last year for me. It didn't appear on many top 10 lists and whatnot. I actually think this would be getting into my top 10 list now. Because, um, I mean, technically, it's astounding. Again, the Blu-ray picture is awesome. Uh, but, I mean, the Anthony Dodd-Mantle's cinematography is incredible. Um, but... I mean, and I mean, the, the sound design's great as well. But as well as that, just the character arcs I find fascinating. Like the the way it seems like it's Chris Hemsworth's story, but it's really not. It's Daniel Brühl's story, and yet it, de- it still does give enough service to Chris Hemsworth's. Uh, it, it it just it's. I think it's a g- fucking great, great piece of mainstream cinema is Rush, and uh, yeah, I it, I I. I can't think of that many flaws with that fucking film, I must say. Uh, but yeah, so some really. Oh, and I rewatched Annie Hall, which you know is Annie Hall, so that was great. Um, so yeah, there you go. Cool. Uh, right, I'll I'll give uh, I'll give my uh, one all uh, as well. Um, I rewatched uh, Cedar Rapids the other day. Um, I can't. I think rem- I, rem- I remember you talking about it on Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes. Uh, oh, I did. Yeah. And but I can't remember whether or not you really liked it or whether or not you were not too keen. And of course, I can't go back and listen to the episode because they're no longer up, unfortunately. Uh, so, what was your thoughts on it? Were you a fan or not a fan of it? Uh, I was all right on it. Yeah. Um, positive but fairly ambivalent. Well, yeah. I, I remember watching it when it when it first came out uh, in two thousand and eleven, and um, and then. I, I, it came up on, it was on on Netflix, um, on Canadian Netflix, and I thought, oh, I've seen Cedar Rapids. Um, oh, I fancy rewatching that because it was quite good. Oh, wait a minute, was it shit? I can't remember. 
And I actually couldn't remember the not whether I can remember pretty much the entire film and what happened, but I couldn't remember whether or not it had really annoyed me or I really liked it. Um, so I went back into it again, and and I think a lot of people have probably seen it. Um, the idea of Cedar Rapids is you've got um, Ed Helms playing a a quite kind of um, a quite closed off. Um, nice guy uh he seems like quite naive and like you know he's lived in this small town all his life and knows not a lot of what happens beyond um uh, this this small town life that he's got um so he's not got any kind of world where he's probably never had a problem in his life uh, and he's an insurance agent and he has to go to uh, an insurance co- um, convention essentially uh in cedar rapids uh, that somebody that his his hero used to go to, but his hero can't go because he died um, in an erotic asphyxiation accident. Um, so he's sent there um, and sent to to Cedar Rapids to get the I think it's called the Golden Diamond or the Two Diamonds Award for the the insurance group that he works for. Uh, and once he gets there, he, he he's told to avoid certain people. Uh, one of them being Ding Ziggler, uh, who's John C. Riley's character, who is uh, a, a proper salesman. He's over the top, and he you know he's just all he wants to do is drink and try and you know get laid and just party. Uh, and then you've got a Isaiah Whitlock, um, who plays the polar opposite. Uh, and then you throw in uh, Anne Hesh, who for her it's like her breakaway from her normal life. Um, I it, it's one of those films where I was rewatching. I watched it quite late on um, last uh, Sunday, so it was and it was a it was a bank was it a bank no, it wasn't a bank on this week was it? Um, I watched it quite late on last uh, on Sunday, um, and actually. Actually, really, really enjoyed this. You know that that time round. I think I kind of enjoyed it the first time round, but I actually um, really, really got on with it, and I, I actually really kind of warmed to it uh, a lot uh, this time round. Then, so I thought it's one of those films where I could see myself watching it more and more over the years to come. I mean, it's been sort of three, two, three years since I watched it, um, which you know. I, I'm quite a repeat watcher. I watch a lot of stuff. I stick a lot of stuff on at 11 o'clock at night and watch 40 minutes of it and then I'll wake up in the morning and watch the last sort of hour of it. Um, you know, sort of, that's how I do a lot of rewatching. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it on rewatch. It's it's funny enough. The characters are quite endearing and it sets up at the end, absolutely sets up a sequel that we'll probably never get, to be honest. But I was thinking, do you know what? Of all the the shitty sequels we get, I, I would I would watch a sequel to Cedar Rapids, but I think the you know the Ed Helms has possibly grown beyond that. This was you know I think it was it was just after Hangover before Hangover Part Two, uh, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my rewatch of Cedar Rapids. Nice, yeah. I I, I mean I I was like I say I was all right with it. It was just one where like I had to preview the print and mm. stuck it on and yeah I. I know I, I I laughed quite a few times. I just I know I, to be honest, I probably watched the sequel too. But I just uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I I'm glad you liked it. I just don't remember that much about it. Well, that was exactly the same. I, I, and then and then I rewatched it and thought this is actually it's quite a nice film. I quite I, I quite enjoyed spending time with it again. Um, go on and hit us with your one new. 
Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, we're doing all right for time, really, aren't we? Um, uh, okay, yeah. So my one new. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. I'll just go on a little like four minute rant about this then. Um, <laughs> it's been a while since I've completely shit talked a film. Um, <laughs> on here. So here we go. The Quiet Ones. Oh. Um, so Hammer's latest efforts. Hammer, whose best since they relaunched their best film, has been a remake of a film that still wasn't nearly as fucking good as the original, despite much of it pretty much being shot for fucking shot with Let Me In, uh, which I still contend is fucking not that great at all. The Quiet Ones. Uh, Who the fuck's this directed by? Um, John Pug. Yeah, him. Uh, Story. Uh, Jared Harris, uh, Moriarty from the show, uh, from the Sherlock Holmes sequel. Um, he was in Fringe as well and Mad Men, I believe. Uh, plays a kind of a doctor, uh, a professor at a uni, uh, who is trying to examine whether paranormal activity could actually be the manifestations of mental illness. Essentially, um, he has a kind of a test subject girl. And he employs uh, a couple of students and a cameraman played by Sam Claflin, who was in the uh, the last Hunger Games um, film. Um, and wouldn't you know it, it turns out it's not just a mental illness. Uh, the film then proceeds to go, like go on the usual fucking long haired, creepy girl has moments of insanity but also moments where it looks like um, she might get with the uh, Sam Claflin character all the while Jared Harris seems a little bit rapey um, <laughs> this film fucking pissed me off man because the thing is the premise is actually quite an interesting premise like whether like, men- like mental illness or kind of like uh, damages to the psyche could actually manifest seemingly paranormal like spectres Mm. that's it's an interesting comment a a concept but as the film goes on it becomes more and more just like weird found footage which makes no fucking sense whatsoever um of like these experiments being done and then cutting to the the participants kind of shouting and jared harris going you can't be believing all this superstitious nonsense it's all obviously balls. This girl's sick and we need to take care of her. And then wouldn't you know it, it turns out she's not sick. Every single scare in this film, every single one is loud noise scares. Every single one where it's it's literally like the soundtrack is at 10 and then the scare will be at 12,000. Ah, and yeah. that, that's all it's doing to get a scare. So instead of conjuring up an atmosphere or trying to be creepy... It's just making you jump with noise. It just goes, bah! And, yeah. and, and, and that's it. That's it for an hour and a half. It's, and it's... it really it, it wastes the cast, who are a, a decent enough cast. It wastes the premise. And instead, it's like, oh, what's faddy at the moment? Found footage is faddy. Okay, cool, we'll have that. Loud noise scares, they work every time, don't they? Oh, we'll just fucking have that then, yeah. It is absolute bollocks. Is, 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 is there an air raid siren there at some point as well? No, no, there's not. Is there not? It, fucking hell, it's, it's not. It's not like offensive, like Aftershocks offensive. But it's fucking boring. It makes increasingly little sense. The very, very end is it, it, just fuck off. And I... <laughs> really 
I, I didn't get on with it. I'll be honest with you, Mark. I didn't get on with it. Uh, do you know what? Uh, I gathered that you, you, you did seem to seem to have a few issues with it. Yeah. It just it, it, it's the, the thing is like Hammer. It's it's literally just a brand now. It doesn't feel like yeah. there's anyone working for that company who are really into actually trying to make a legacy again. Yeah, the, the, you know, the, the, I mean, the, like the Woman in Black was a remake, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, and Let Me In was a remake. Uh, what else have they done? They did. Um, oh, they did that Irish one, Wake Wood, which was actually all right. Yeah. Uh, but it went to like VOD basically because it's not based on an existing property. Did they? Whatever, did, was but... it Wakewood though? That they actually did they actually do that or did they just buy the rights to that? Maybe just bought the rights, but they did the Resident, I think, which yeah. was that fucking Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Hillary Swank film, which was oh, fucking yeah. brutal. That was that was that was bad. And, like, Christopher Lee turns up for, like, one scene looking like, bless him, looking like he's about to die. Mm. It, it, it just... I don't know what this iteration of Hammer are doing, but it kind of feels like they're just relying on horror fans associating the name with greatness and, and loving them just because of that. It, and, I mean, The Quiet Ones, it's easily one of the worst films I've seen this year, and it will very likely be in my bottom ten at the end of the year. Because, I mean, like, even the, the, the kind of the realisations of what's going on and whatnot, it's literally in the last 20 minutes, they're just like, oh, we're going to have to explain this now. Oh, it's this! Huh? And, and then there's, like, a scene, that there's, like, a confrontation at the end, and then there's a very end little bump scene and then that's it it's fucking bollocks uh yeah i'll i won't be rushing to see it right um so we are joined by uh mike from chinstrokers versus punter hello mike how are you hello what, what's chinstrokers versus punter it's me not been able to talk properly <laughs> you call that a cocking introduction mark <laughs> That's the way we do things on this show. <laughs> All the cool kids call it CBSP anyway. That's why we don't call it CBSP. Um, and uh, Mike has joined us to talk about Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is the second part of our Ian and Mark throw shit at each other marathon. Um, so uh, here's a trailer from uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and then we'll, we'll get into it. where apes evolved from men? There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. Damn you! Charlton Heston as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. They're marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent, 
on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor, trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth, a planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. Oh, and they! And they! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the apes want. War or peace? The super-intelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. Doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants. In civilization's final battle, to answer the ultimate question. Can a planet long endure, half human and half able? Is it the beginning or the end? Okay, that was a trailer. Podcasting there, wasn't it? What? That's a pretty disastrous minute of podcasting there. <laughs> just what we're holding. I bring it out of people. <laughs> <laughs> so beneath the uh, Planet of the Apes, the 1970 uh, sequel to Apes, fucking funnily enough. Um, uh, Mike, I'm gonna let you introduce this because you know fucking more about this film than I do. <laughs> I know more about this film than anybody should know about this film, to be honest with you. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's second in the series. I mean, the, I mean, obviously this was made at a time when sequels certainly weren't the norm. Um, it was considered unusual to do a sequel to a film. The conventional wisdom at the time was that sequels were a kind of ch- a cheap hit. You go in. You do a film that's essentially a, a, a cheap remake of the original, hits a lot of the similar beats, and you get out of there. So I think that whilst the first one was successful, there wasn't any real expectation that there was going to be a franchise. I mean, I don't even know if the, the, the word you know, existed within the context of films at that point. But, I mean, they, they couldn't get the original director back. He was off making Patton. He took Jerry Goldsmith with him as well. So they brought in a lot of TV people for this, you know, the director, the writer, the star, we're all, all, all um, you know, from primarily working in TV. The budget was slashed as well. So it was a fairly sort of inauspicious um, start to it. I mean, Rod Serling, who had a lot to do with the, the, the conception of the, the adaptation of the, the script for the first movie, wasn't brought back. And, you know, there were, and, and they couldn't get Heston back as well. He wasn't really interested in doing sequels. He agreed to come back in a, a, essentially a limited capacity with certain sort of caveats such as his his fee having to go to charity 
um, and the fact that he wanted to be killed off. And he, he would end up, as production went on, coming up with the ending as well. But, um, I mean, without without essentially, you know, turning this into a Wikipedia page for the film, I, I, I would throw out to you guys that my general feeling of this film is that the first film is is without question just a great movie. It's a great film. It's a great science fiction film, great genre film, whatever you want to call it. But I'd say that this has to be viewed more as an an, an interesting entry in a franchise. Would you guys agree with that? What what I like about it primarily is the fact that it sets itself up like it's going to be a stri- like pretty much a straight remake with you know a guy who looks like Charlton Heston but is younger he finds Linda Harrison he, he, he goes he finds they can all talk and Zira and Cornelius kind of befriend him I but then it just goes off in such such a different direction in the second half that I I respect I, I, I very much enjoy the sequel, but I almost respect it more for what it's doing in the way that it's got other things on its mind. Um, whereas I think maybe, especially by the time you get to like Battle of the Planet of the Apes, where it, it, I mean, it is essentially humans versus apes. Um, at least you've got, oh, excuse me. At least you got, I was just choking over my own awesomeness. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you, you, you have, something else there and also i mean like fuck i mean the ending just uh, heston came up with the ending and that, that's fantastic but just you do not get endings like the ending of this film or the first film or the third film or to an extent the fourth film or at least the original ending of the fourth film anymore and i think this franchise is quite special for how fucking unrepentant it is sometimes in how humans are shitbags. I mean, it's a weird one in the way that, I mean, this, if you look at the, 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 it is, this is a series of films or as as a franchise, that original run that started with the, with the Heston film, I suppose essentially ended with, with the animated series in the sort of mid to late seventies. This is an odd one in the way that, Unlike the sequels that would come later, this one, to a certain extent, does, as you say, kind of emulate a lot of the beats and the visual style of the first one before the franchise would go on to be something, arguably, that would go towards more different and interesting directions kind of after this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly think the, the idea of the, the kind of the, the apes uprising and whatnot, and that, I mean, how the third film really kind of legitimises what's... Um, what Caesar goes on to do in um, in uh, fucking Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Um, it, I, I, I think that arc is very, very interesting, but I, I, and I think there are, there's a lot in Beneath the Planet of the Apes that doesn't work. Like the, the one-sided conversation where James Francisco spends about 10 minutes responding to people blinking at him. Yeah. Is, <laughs> like, at, in a filmmaking level, is brutal. Um, but the I like the idea of the of the bomb, and it is unsubtle. But a lot of the, the a lot of the satire in 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 the uh, in the first two films is unsubtle. But the reworking of all creatures, great and small, um, yeah. I, I is is really it, it's just an interesting idea to me, and the way that the, the bomb has been built up as the god. I it's. 
this film, out of all the films, has probably got the least to do with the apes. But the stuff that I mean, the, the stuff there is still good, and you've still got the um, you've still got the apes shitting themselves at fire, which I find quite fun. Um, but yeah. I mean, I think there's stuff of interest in it. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, I mean, it, what I was surprised. I mean, this is only the second time I've watched uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and the last time was. Probably the early nineties on a Saturday, a Sunday afternoon on Channel Four or something like that. Um, so I'd remembered very little about it. Uh, but I was just kind of taken back a little bit of, of how kind of bizarre and quite dark it goes um, at points where it, it's you know you've got these the, this other um, race then coming into the story as well. Uh, it, it runs way from the apes, humans, and then you, you pull in this, this other race as well in there who are constantly against, you know, make a point of saying that oh, we're against violence, yet they've got dungeons and they've got weapons just strewn about the place. Um, it, it's definitely got some some interesting ideas in of itself, you know, and the whole they've created a bomb as being, you know, like like a god because of the, the, the immense power that it's, it's seemingly had, that it can have this godlike power and it's you know, it, it's it's kind of a, a strange kind of precursor to to what you get in you know sort of more Cold War era films of the of the eighties that that glorify the, the idea of um, of nuclear war a little bit um, there. So it, 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 there's a lot of interesting bits going on with it, certainly. I think that the I mean my main I think that if you're going to look at this film you know critically it's I think the things for me that, that that don't work for it the most are kind of there's three areas really. I think that the the areas where it kind of it takes us somewhat for a large portion of its running time, considering how brave the ending is, it's quite cowardly filmmaking to a certain extent. Where in how much it does try and emulate the performances and the visuals and the beats of of, of the original. Sure. Uh, I think also I, I don't and I'm these are three very different points. I'm just curious to see kind of you know whether we can kind of unpack these things or not. Uh, I think the other the other element of it is I don't think this film's really actually says anything. There's a lot. Of, I was just, just listening to you guys talking last week uh, and about how uh, of the, the episode you recorded last week about the original Heston film is that it's interesting how much, particularly in relation to a lot of, you know, um, right wing politics in America, a lot of people who are kind of anti-evolution, a lot of other stuff that's going on in the States at the moment with people criticising the Cosmos TV show for being unbalanced because it doesn't teach creationism as well, or how a lot of those elements are still very kind of hot button and how each time you watch the original, you get a lot of that. I don't think that this film, apart from in a very cosmetic way, does that. And, and third and finally, I think just aesthetically, I mean, this is a cheaper film. I mean, the only reason this film actually got made at all, really, was because of so many of the standing sets that were made, the exterior sets like Ape City still existed, so they didn't have to make them again. But there's a kind of, like a, 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 not, like a flatness, like a kind of zero contrast televisual look to a lot of particularly the interiors and i think that even though there are all these interesting elements going on and there is this kind of wildness and um, this sort of nihilism that or, that, that we as uh, cult film fans uh, respond to i think that it is quite difficult to ignore those three kind of central problems that the film's got i mean i i, I agree with the fact that it's not saying anything but i like i just like the fact that it actually had the balls to even do something else, um, 
so many sequels feel they 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 should just rehash and like keep things safe and it's just the fact that the opening kind of sets it up like it's going to be the same film over again and then does a complete 180 on that and just goes in a completely different direction it's conceptually i like that I'd say though that that's something else is weirdly similar in the way that when they were they one of the problems they had when they were writing this film was that they felt that they didn't have in the early drafts anything comparable to that 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 gut punch at the end the the Statue of Liberty and to me whilst it is a different I still feel that the the apocalyptic ending was an attempt to kind of elicit a similar response of of, of shock and awe from the audience that that Statue of Liberty shot did. Whilst it's a different thing, it still felt like they were looking for that. I mean, in, although it's it's much less successful in the same way that Tim Burton would try to have a kind of like, you know, a last gasp at the end of it. I felt that the, the ending is crazy, but the, but, but the exactly, exactly, is that the, 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 the original ending is so iconic, it felt that whilst there is a bravery to the ending, it was born out of this sense of trying to replicate that audience reaction. If it, I, 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 I see that, but I kind of just think it's the perfect ending for Taylor as a character. It just yes. he's basically he's gone out there in the first place because he's kind of sick of Earth and then and, and humans. At the at the end of Planet of the Apes, he's basically sick of humans and apes. So that at the end of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, he's like, fuck it. Press the button, you know. It just, I, it, it, that feels. It doesn't feel like it's out of character. I see what you mean about like why, like doing the ending because of the shock and awe factor. But it, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's out of place. If James Franciscus's character had done it, then yeah, it would have. Sure. But the, the time you spent with Taylor in, in in Planet of the Apes and the, the 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 fuck it nature of of the ending it just it kind of feels perfect to me it's also it's and also coupled sorry coupled with that the fact you got that voiceover at the end saying a green and insignificant planet which again kind of feel, fits into Taylor's worldview as well yeah it, well, it goes back to his initial kind of soliloquy on the spaceship at the beginning of the first movie yeah. isn't it yeah I think what what is interesting as well is going back and watching sort of this type of film which is the second in in what has become a a well-known franchise, a franchise that's still going, uh, you know, effectively again now, um, is how we've almost become used to uh, with franchise movies uh, nowadays. Here we already know what's going to be a franchise movie when it before the first films even happen, but there's so much setting up in modern movies for the next film and the next film, and you you know they always end where you're going right. Well, it's ending you know, as is an interlude into the next film. And I mean that's not even something that's, you know, that's fucking that's something new that's just happened in the past sort of 10, 15 years. You know, that happened, you know, Back to the Future 2 has a trailer essentially for the third film at the end of it. It was nice that this you know, I don't know whether there was uh, whether there was already plans to do um, escape uh, from the planet of the Apes, but it did feel like that they were almost saying, look, this is a they're closing it off again, and it does feel like a singular film almost of, of its own, like it is a sequel, but it's not just a setup for what's going to happen further on down the road. Oh, well, that's that's completely bang on. I mean, there, there was there was no expectation whatsoever that I mean that was reflected with 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 the budget. I mean, there, there was no thoughts at all, and I mean part of it was the fact that that Heston 
Uh, I mean, Charlton Heston, he's, he's an interesting guy in the way that, I mean, now when most people think of him, they think of bowling for Columbine. But, I mean, you know, this is a, he, he was a complicated guy and he had a sense of humour as well. I don't think, you know, people realise that about him. And, and I think that he understood Taylor. I think he understood partly, partly out of ego, the fact that he felt, well, I don't want to be brought back again. And he was told, you know, part of the courtship of him to return for this film was, um, was Zanuck saying you can't do it? You can't do another Planet of the Apes film without Charlton Heston. And I mean, this is a guy who's played essentially has played God for most of his life. Um, so you know, he probably had a fairly high opinion of himself. So I think that by not even the fact that they destroyed the, the planet, but just by killing off Taylor, I, I think that they were you know putting a, a sort of stamp on the end of things. I don't think they 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 felt for a second that they were going to be um, be coming back for a third film. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it also, well, I mean, I think was, yeah, am I right that Ted Post was brought in because he, he worked in TV and he could work quickly and he could, they, they, they kind of already decided they were going to make the movie and they just, they slashed the budget and just wanted to get it done and out as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, before, before they, they turned the sets down, I mean, turned the sets down, I mean, I think the other thing as well is that there's, there are other tells as well that it's a that there's TV people working in this as well. I mean, as well as the sort of the, you know, that kind of slightly flatter, like like I say, low sort of contrast um, photography as well. I mean, little moments like, for example, at the end of the opening credits, you get a fade to black and then it fades back in. I mean, that's a televisual technique. I mean, you know, as soon as you see that, and the other moment as well where there's, I mean, there's something that Paul and I have talked about on the podcast where. Um, and it sounds like I'm really down on this film. It's one of those things where it's kind of there's, there's certain elements that I think are kind of the, the, the elephant in the room. But you know the scene earlier on, just after the um, you get the you get the initial flash flashback of the uh, the gleefully condescending Heston kind of teaching Nova how to speak. <laughs> I love all those things with Heston because he's just he comes across like a bit of a crazy man, doesn't it, he? It, like, is, it, is that is that the moment where it's got like the cutting to him very quickly and it's him kind of like with his massive teeth? Yeah, yeah, just like it's it's, a, it's reminiscent of the bit in the first one when he's laughing maniacally with yeah, the yeah, yeah, little, yeah, yeah. and and you get in a lot of Heston films. I don't know whether this is written into his contract where you get a weird, toothy, grinny, like crash zoom shot of Heston in that's so exactly many of the his films. Was, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Where it's just like it's it's almost like it's like a drug trip sequence. Like yeah. it starts flashing <laughs> and it's just like John Heston's teeth. It looks like it should have been produced by like Robert Evans or something. You've got yeah, that yeah. kind of, uh, and it's the way as well that he's getting. Because I mean, I know it's difficult to not be condescending to a cave woman, but it's the way that he's like Nova, Nova, you Nova. dumb bitch, yeah. and he's just so, you know. But 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 in that, he's got. Um, it's really weird as well. It's funny you should mention that because in my notes here, I've got I've got flashes to the gleefully condescending Heston. What the fuck is it with his teeth? Yeah, <laughs> I texted Mark. When I was about 20 minutes into the film, saying everyone's got really nice looking teeth. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the thing. It's the fact that, you, that you, you get that close up of him looking like fucking Austin Powers or something. And then it cuts over to Nova, Nova, who's meant to be like this primal kind of just cave woman who has, I'm, I'm sorry, I, there's no heterosexual way of saying this, fabulous teeth. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison to Heston. But, it's but, that bit but, where so, she tries to scream. And it's just her teeth, and she's just like, it's like it's, her head is all teeth. 
<laughs> and and, and is, just I a mean, pair of eyes. Oh my god! But, but, the, but the, re- the reason that I bring up that scene is that you, you know how you get this this flashback and you see that the wall of fire appear and you've got these lightning bolts. To me, I, I watched this. I've seen this film a whole bunch of times, but I did a rewatch of it about five or six years ago. That was the first time I'd seen it, probably since childhood. And th- th- that those effects and the what that actually represents within the film the first clue that we're watching where that we're into somewhat silly sequel territory you know that um that sort of you, you know how a lot of sequels have that moment early on when you're like ah so it's it's going to be like that is it you know when you realize yeah. that it's just not going to be quite as classy an affair and when that fire appears and he sort of falls through the what we later learn is the kind of is, is the facade uh, and he sort of vanishes through in, in kind of like a 1980s BBC kind of almost rent a ghost effect. That's the first tip off that you're watching a film which isn't as well made from a production value point of view as the original. Yeah, like like they've gone like they've, someone's watched the rush of it and gone, I forget it'll do. Yeah, yeah, essentially, it's like you know how like when you watch certain sequels where it, the sequel it's not well it, it's. It, I think we've talked about it before. It's not Teen Wolf 2, like the number two. It's Teen Wolf 2, as in Teen Wolf as well, like <laughs> yeah. Teen Wolf T-double-O. It, it feels kind of like there's, there is an element, as you say, there's, there's, there's a fuck it element at that point where you're like, ah, okay, there wouldn't have been anything as broadly sci-fi looking as that in the first film, just purely from an optical point of view. And I think that whenever I rewatch that film, and all sequels have that, like the ha- Halloween 2's got the bit where you see... Uh, the ambulance crash into the person that we're meant to think is Michael Myers. And it's just the, the staging of it is just much more, much broader and more ridiculous than anything in the first film. And it kind of signposts you into thinking, yeah, okay, well, what, this is a different thing that we're watching now. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I, I actually, I, I enjoyed it. it. It gets in and gets its story told. I mean, it's a 95 minute movie, which, it, you know, it gets in and gets its told, but it's, it's not, it's of nowhere near the same kind of quality of um, it, it, you know the first film, but I did. I think like you were saying, I did actually kind of. I enjoyed the kind of almost nihilism of, of, of the of the ending of, of sort of the the last third of the film. And, and I mean a lot of and a lot of this, I think the, the the stronger elements from the first film do carry over as well. I mean the. I'm sort of I'm 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 flip flopping a little bit here and playing a little bit of Dolls Advocate, but the the early sequence of the film where it's replaying a lot of the elements are enjoyable to watch because those elements work so well. Like I mean, I've always been a big fan of of the of the kind of the man alone sort of stories. You know, one of my favourite books when I was growing up was was I Am Legend, and I've always loved that sequence in the first film before they even encounter any apes when they're just they're walking through the desert and you just don't know where they are or what's going to happen and. I think it's a testimony to the sort of construction of the world from a science fiction point of view that even on rewatch, when that element of mystery isn't there, those scenes still work. And in this film, they kind of greatest hits their way through that quite quickly. But when I do rewatch this, I'm almost thinking, I wish they'd spend more time with that. But but it, watching this film reminds me of how much they got right in the first one. I mean. Like, I love the way that um, I didn't get all the way through your conversation about the first one. So I don't know if you touched on this, but um, only because I didn't have time, by the way, not because it was crap or anything. Um, but the fact that, 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 that it will start in the, in the desert, but the closer they get to 
quote civilization the closer that that um taylor in the first film and and, and and brent in this film get to the apes things slowly start getting greener you start seeing tufts of grass and just on a conceptual level i think both elements in this work really well um but but yeah a bit, as, as tangent aside mark going back to what you were saying about the ending i think that you can't argue with this and i know that he's a, he's a kind of contrarian for hire but that's something that kermode always talks about is the fact that see, i remember seeing this film as a child and as a child that that ending is pretty mind-blowing i mean not even the world blowing up but just seeing charlton heston getting shot by a machine gun and dying is is crazy hmm. I, I like the the rather unceremonious killing off of james franciscus as well where it's yeah. just like oh heston's fat now fuck it and it's yeah. just like on the, at the wall and died you know, and, what, and the thing is, in his death as well, I think he's one of the moments that does actually work on a kind of um, subtextual level as well. Because, I mean, there are things here. I mean, there's, you, but it's much broader. It's much more on the nose. Like you've got the beatnik kind of looking younger chimps doing the stop the war, give peace a chance kind of thing. OK, clearly that was obviously a reflection of of, um, you know, young Americans on campus, uh, anti-Vietnam anti sentiment. Kind of stuff, yeah. uh, but I mean, that's. I mean, that's kind of really on the nose, kind of. It's 60 Star Trek level allegory going on there. It's certainly not as sophisticated as what was going on in, in the first film, you know, but it's there. But I think one of the moments that does work well is the Franciscus death, because you've got a moment where one of the characters, um, I think it's probably Zayas, is saying, oh, you know, uh, humanity, um, all they do is destroy. And then it cuts to um, Franciscus firing a machine gun off just before he gets shot. And, you know, they're kind of right. Yeah. But it, it, it's kind of like, it, it, there's also the, the mixing of the fact that, you know, it's humanity, all the, you know, humans, all they do is destroy, but then you've got the apes to try to destroy the the underground people. The underground people are fucking trying to destroy everything, and the humans are trying to stop the underground people from destroying everything whilst also destroying the apes. It, there's, there's, it, everything, it's just that if you give people enough intelligence, you, they'll basically find a way to try and fucking kill each other. Yeah, nobody's a bad guy. I mean, there's a lot of reversals. I mean, for example, the um, I always get, get get Dawn and Rise mixed up. Rise, Rise was the one that came out a couple of years back, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, I mean, in that I mean, essentially, is a, is a remake of the first Heston film, but with you know the, the the apes and the humans reversed. And I think that, and obviously, you know, Escape does that as well. Escape is to a certain extent a remake of the original, but but with the with the apes and the humans reversed. And I think that. It's a testimony to um, the flexibility of the structure, this idea of exploring the idea of difference, which I think in many ways is probably the key. If you're going to assign a, a subtext to this film, I think that that's made, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, Mark, but that's what I'm kind of hearing from you here, yeah. is that one of the things that this film is exploring is just the idea of the fear of the other, as opposed to mankind necessarily being, you know, a flawed creature. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, Ian, um, what are your overriding thoughts on uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes? I'm surprised. I think I like it most out of um, out of all uh, all of us, actually. Um, I mean, I agree with the fact it doesn't look as good. I mean, James Frank uh, Franciscus is dangerously close to Mexican non-union equivalent of Charles and Heston. <laughs> He's um, very close. Uh, that he, at, at first, I was looking at him going, that, wait a minute, that's not Charlton Heston, but it is Charlton Heston. 
it's weird when you see them together. He's he's tiny compared to Hester, yeah. isn't he? It's one of those weird. It's like when you're watching a nature program and you see an elephant. You're like, that's a big elephant, and then the daddy elephant walks in. You're like, whoa! <laughs> that's a fucking Charlton elephant. And then the Hester elephant comes in and blows them all away. Is, is that the noise you make when daddy elephants come in the room all, all the time, Mark? Whoa! Whoa! whoa. <laughs> it, it, it happens regularly. Well, it, yeah, it's surprise. It's surprise and fear. I think that's a rational response to that. <laughs> uh, wow. so, so your picture of surprise and fear is whoa! Yeah, that's my mixture of everything. It's like losing balance, actually. I'll go with that. <laughs> um, fucking hell. Uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know. I, I enjoy it. It's no, it's not particularly deep. Um, and like I say, the satire is as subtle as a sledgehammer. But I, I, you know what? I think it's it's the length as much as anything else. I think if it was closer to two hours, I'd probably look at it a, a lot less kind. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, for me, definitely not shit. Um, it's one of the least of the films I think we'll talk about on this marathon, but um, I still have fun with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a definitely not uh, shit. Uh, and to be honest, is this was the one I was kind of not not least looking forward to, but the one I was most expecting to to not have a great time with. Um, and to be honest, if, if this ends up being the the least of, of the films that we're going to watch uh, in this in this marathon, then I'll be fucking. I'll be perfectly happy, you know. It, it's definitely not shit. I had fun with it, but it it kind of does pale in significance to the to, to the film before it. There you go, Mike. Shit or definitely not shit. Oh, so it's definitely not shit. I mean, all, all of my like chick cloth. I should have offered that option as well. <laughs> it's good to have options. I mean, I mean, all, all of my criticisms, criticisms of this film, really. Are, I mean, they're they're more discussion points and and points of comparison to the original as well. Uh, I mean, this this is a great, a great fun film. It's a great cult movie, and it, and in some ways, you know, it, it's it's the, the lower budget did afford them the luxury of being able to transgress in 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 areas that that the original one didn't. I mean, there's. Just, a couple of other just random observations I've got here. I've got, I've got to get through because I actually bothered writing notes here. So yeah, I'm gonna, no, I get I'm through it. Yeah, you, you see, um, one of the other production things that I noticed as well is that they started using um, masks as opposed to appliances in some of the crowd scenes. Yeah. That's really noticeable on the Blu-ray. Um, I only mention it because the way that they use it seems, and I say this as a you know 21st century um, you know, Blu-ray watching the film goer here is seen hours and hours and hours of documentaries and making of stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't mean this to, you know, sound condescending or anything, but it's the way that they use it because the, the, they use them for a lot of the, the, you know, how the, the terminology of the hero makeup. You've got hero makeup, which is for your close-ups, mm. and then you've usually got like a, a sort of secondary, you know, and tertiary level makeup for people who are in the, more in the backgrounds. For the extras in the crowd scenes. They use is they they place the sort of B mask chimps for want of a better word really close to the hero makeup, which create draws even more attention to them because you've got that contrast between them, which seemed like a really unusual thing to do. Um, another thing as well is these are the only American films I've seen where people use the word bloody, like it's a bloody nightmare, and you bloody baboon. Is that just a Heston thing? I think it is. I, it probably I think is, it just yeah. like saying it. Because he, he, he probably just turns up with all manner of like crazy demands. Another observation is Zira is like one of those chicks that gets your ass kicked by other guys. 
the way that like at the beginning of the film he's like sit down she's like no i'm gonna do all of this like you know when you're out and you, you've, you've had a few drinks and you've got like a, a group of heckling toughs on the other side there's always one gobby bird in your group he's like fuck you and get your ass kicked that's zero in this film um, <laughs> yeah the, yeah i, I can absolutely see that <laughs> A lot of things, there seems also to be, uh, and they tone this down a little bit as it goes on. There seems, I was thinking about this during the the, the, the scene where um, the general and Renzaeus are in the steam room, is that there's a kind of increase in the anthropomorphic humour as well. I mean, there was the bit, the, the, the see no evil, hear no evil bit that Ian mentioned in, in the first film. But there's a lot more of that, look, that ape's doing a human thing kind of yeah. humour here as well. And, and also, Dr. Zayas covers his balls as well, I've noticed, in, the, uh, <laughs> in that scene. It's like he's an ape, but obviously some lunatic in the studio was like, well, you've got to cover his balls. Um, or maybe he just didn't have balls and they wanted to hide that sort of prosthetic deficiency <laughs> yeah, in the film. Yeah, it's just like the, kind of the plate of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, and, or they made balls the, uh, look like crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were like, or maybe they just didn't like the way that they glistened in <laughs> yeah. the uh, kind of like in, in the steam room. But the, um, I mean, also there's, there's some, there's quite a lot of what I would imagine by these day standards would be considered animal cruelty in this film as well. Some of the horse falls yeah. look um, look pretty pretty rough. There's, there's, but I, I guess little, again, there's a little montage sort of bit, isn't there? Um, in it where I think there's, I think it's where they're capturing. Uh, a lot of humans for the first time uh, in this film, and yeah, there's there's this one where they're, they're, they're almost playing kind of games with them, where they're almost I think they're maybe they're practicing for how they're going to catch humans. Yeah, because and, and those elements of it as well, the relationship between the apes and the humans. That and again, I know that this was pre-home video and people there were you know a, a, several years between the films, but. Those elements made me realise that I just don't... But I mean, this is meant to happen just after the first film, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels as though it's a different, slightly different societal structure and that the relationship... Like the idea of them going to war with humans. In the first film, humans are subservient to the point of not even being something that you consider going to war with. No, they're... they're just, 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 is that just me yeah, saying that? Yeah, yeah it, it, it would be like us going to war with cats. Yeah, it's just a kind of something would need to have happened, and I think that it's interesting because I mean I I I love this whole series of films. I mean, God Almighty, I I own the animated series of this for Christ's sake. But what one of the 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 most difficult to argue against criticisms of this franchise is the fact that they don't make sense as a series of films. If you chart the timelines of these films, it falls apart. You kind of have to watch them through children's eyes to a certain extent. And just one last thing I noticed as well, where from a, a sort of subtextual point of view is that this, you've got all of this talk of the Holy War from the, the lawgiver. And that there's, there's, there's a, I think that there is a broader um, sort of subtext here about like the inevitability of destruction being a side effect of evolution. So, I mean, for example, I think it's interesting that at the end of the film, you see that Nova finally speaks um, her first word is Taylor, which, which she shouts. And, and her doing that essentially alerts him, which results in him hitting the button. So I don't know how intentional it is, but when you think about it, it's, it's man, well, mankind's, humanity's ability to sort of think and articulate essentially has ended the world. The fact that Nova learned how to speak and learned to articulate herself was what alerted to Taylor and directly resulted in him 
being able to actually kind of end the world. So again, I don't know how intentional it was, but I think that's kind of a neat little touch, the fact that the, the moment where the, the, the domestic humans of the planet of the age world gain some kind of sentience is what results in in uh, in destruction but um but yeah i mean like i said it sounds like i've been really negative about this film but i love it but i just think that there's i think that to me as a sequel this feels like a um a, a, a sort of slightly paler version of the original with some great ideas of its own and i think the series goes on to do much braver much more interesting much more radical um things as you kind of move through the films Cool, cool. Fair so, enough, for that, absolutely. Yes, well, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us, Mike. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Does, uh, Mike, do you fancy just sticking around a couple of minutes and maybe answering some Twitter questions? Yeah, well, if you don't mind holding on for one second while I go for a cigarette. Well, I, I'll, I, while you're doing that, I, I shall um, jump back in and give my one new. Then while you're doing that. Cool, okay, I'll, I'll be back in a while. I'm, nice. I'll mute while I'm going, guys. Okay. Cool. Nice one, cool. Uh, right, uh, so Mike will be back with us to answer a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, and while he's off uh, polluting his lungs, um, I shall uh, give you my one new. Um, just want to quickly say, I watched um, Chronicle, actually, for the first time. Uh, oh, nice, okay. um, It's not the one I want to talk about, because when I want to talk about um, just a little bit more that probably hasn't been said about it. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed Chronicle. I think it's a very uh, fun film to watch for the first kind of 40 minutes. And then in that next 40 minutes where it gets a little bit darker, it's still enjoyable. I think it, it's got issues uh, in certain um, aspects of the battle towards the end uh, that, that kind of t- took me out of it a little bit. But I, I, was, I was very impressed. I think it's a very, very good film. Um, but the film I'm going to talk about here is uh, Wayne Kramer's uh, latest offering, um, which is known in this country as Hustlers uh, and everywhere else as Pawn Shop Chronicles. Now, oh, yeah. um, I was a, a, a big fan of um, his film, uh, The Cooler. Uh, I'm also a huge, huge fan uh, of his uh, Paul Walker starring film, Running Scared. Um, so I was very much sort of looking forward to getting to um, Pawn Shot Chronicles, but with Wayne Kramer, he's the sort of director where you, you have to be in the mood for his kind of his thing that he's that he's got. Uh, this kind of quite black uh, comedy, um, also mixed with with some quite um, kind of horrible ideas uh, and a way that uh, Kramer seems to look at the world. Um, in quite a bleak way, but find kind of finds comedy in it. Uh, and Pawn Shop Chronicles is, it's one of those films where you've got a, a central um, place where you get, you know, you get three stories that kind of shoot off from this central place, which is the pawn shop, um, that kind of interlock and kind of cross over each other, but don't actually end up rounding off to form the same kind of story. So it's not quite an anthology. They, they do meet together, but they don't influence each other. And the ending isn't these three separate stories clashing together. Um, the, the pawn shop is run um, by uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, and um, he has um, a guy who, who basically sits there with him uh, throughout the thing and they, they shoot the shit. 
Uh, and the first one that comes in is um, Lucas Haas comes in um, to uh, sell his uh, shotgun. Uh, he needs it to buy gas to go and meet up with Raw Dog um, and Randy, uh, played by Raw Dog's played by Paul Walker, and Randy's played by Kevin Rankin. Um, and he goes off, and they're both um, Raw Dog, uh, Paul Walker's character, uh, and Ricky are white supremacist meth addicts who want to rob their meth supplier. Uh, but they're they're very confused white supremacists in the fact that they don't appear to actually have any um, any white supremacist leanings at all. I mean, Kevin Rankin's character has got a big swastika tattooed on his neck. Um, and Paul Walker's character is um, is on this constant. He's having a massive freak out from this new drug that he's taken throughout it and. They they are absolute epitomes of of white trash. But there's a great scene between the two of them where Paul Walker is um is kind of going through you know what he understands what it means to be a white supremacist and everything like this. And he says you know I understand why we don't like this and we don't like this. Uh, but one thing I don't understand is why don't we like Jewish people? Um, and there's this whole thing about why don't they, and it, it's a wonderful scene where you've got these two white supremacists who are having this conversation where they, you know, about why they don't like Jewish people and why they're white supremacists. And it, it just boils down to just this wonderful outcome of why, of what happens within that. Um, and then that kind of shoots off and then you've got the, the next, um, the more central, uh, I suppose, uh, story within it is Matt Dillon goes into the, the pawn shop um, and notices he's, he's newly married um, and he, he notices a ring that's there and it turns out that this ring belonged to his first wife who just disappeared and he goes off to try and find her, uh, find out what happened to her. And then this is where it takes us to this really kind of dark place via Elijah Wood. And I don't want to go into it too much because it's quite a new film and, you know, I know we are all spoilers, but I don't want to completely spoil it because there is some quite shocking bits within this. Um, and then that kind of all is tied into the fact that you've got the third story is about um, an Elvis impersonator who uh, is played by Brendan Fraser, who's a terrible Elvis impersonator. Um, but who ends up making a deal with the devil. Um, and it all kind of cascades into this wonderful last sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, it is an absolutely, again, an absolutely gloriously wonderful time uh, to spend time with another Wayne Graver film. They're absolutely batshit. And stuff happens that, you know, that you go, I don't know how someone's thought of this. You are scraping the depths of humanity. But it all works so perfectly. And it is funny. It is shocking. It is just a wonderful film. I absolutely, like running scared, I absolutely adored this movie. Oh, fair play. Fucking hell. It's, it, it is, I mean, you've seen, have you seen running scared? Not yet. I've got it on my TiVo. Um, I've had it on there for ages. I, I would will get to it soon. Watch Running Scared first because some of the bits within Running Scared. Because the cooler is. Have you seen the cooler? Yes. Yeah. 
the Kool-Aid gives you a big idea about the fact that Kramer's got this quite dark side to him. Um, and then Running Scared, the way Running Scared starts, it, it, you think that it's going to be quite generic. And then there's these little stories that get thrown in a Running Scared where you go, holy fuck. And, you know, that that is quite well preparing you for going into this, where when stuff happens in this, having had that Running Scared already prepare you for these these dark places that he that he can go to, it kind of you go, oh god, yeah, this is this is the bit, this is the this is the fuck you gut punch of, of the movie that then rolls back to this to this sort of deeply black comedy and then the outro within this movie, which is it is glorious, which then filters back to a bit that you hear um, Paul Walker's character say um, in one of his bits, it all works together to form this wonderful bit of where you're going, this is a, a massive fuck you to the to that idea of the American dream again. And I, you know, it, it works so perfectly well. And Kramer is so wonderful at doing that. And his films have such a an autoristic kind of style to them. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, but I would, I, like I said, you'll, you'll have a, you'll have a fucking great time with Running Scared, but it, it, it's, it's, I definitely watched them like Running Scared and then a few weeks later, if you enjoy Running Scared, move on to, to Pawn Shop Chronicles. It's, it's very funny, very dark, um, and, you know, like, you're only in it for maybe 20 minutes, but, it, it, it's it's a side of Paul Walker that um, that you know you're not used to seeing um, as much, and it's you know it does show that he was more than just you know the character from uh, the Fast and Furious movies. Fair play. Yes. Uh, do we have Mike back yet? I am here. Yes. Yes. Um, right, so we'll get into uh, some a tw- couple of Twitter questions that we've got. Have you got them in front of you, Ian? I'll... Do indeed, sir, yes. All right, I'll let you get them in because I've not got them in front of me. Cool. Okay, so uh, I've got a couple from Tom at Very Cinematic. Uh, first off, he just asked, Macaulay Culkin's band is Pizza Underground. They play Velvet Underground songs with pizza lyrics and kazoo solos. Why? Um, well, funnily enough, um, our um, Dead Meat uh, Horror Night was on Sunday, just gone, which is why we're recording this on Thursday, we're recording on Sunday. Um, and Pizza Underground were actually supposed to play on the on the Monday night. Um, and I, we went in and they still had posts up and everything. And I was talking to uh, one of the chaps who works there and sort of said, oh, you know, what about, you know, are they gutted that they've, that they've cancelled? And he was like, yeah, um, they kind of haven't really told everybody that they've cancelled. They kind of put out this press release saying we've cancelled, but they didn't really get in touch with all the venues properly. Um, The Pizza Underground thing was Macaulay Culkin is still very, very rich, uh, and he's very, very bored. Mike, do you agree with that? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because, I mean, you've got to look at the motivation for people who were turning out to these gigs. I mean, they were booked to play at a pub down the road from where I live. I don't know whether that gig actually went ahead. I mean, I'm I'm aware of what happened, the fact that they, they, you know, that they were getting like beer thrown over them and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's interesting to think about the motivation of people who 
who go to these shows because I mean obviously you know we've got there's Dog Stark, Keanu Reeves band, um, you know Bruce Willis toured with like a rhythm and blues band, uh, Kevin Costner tours. Um, the wonderfully titled Fabulous Bacon Brothers yes. um, tour as well. Well, that's the um, You know, I mean, even, 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 yeah, I mean, Don Johnson, I mean, rocked the espadrilles in the mid to late 80s as well. And I think it's funny because, I mean, Billy Bob Thornton as well, I mean, he's known for being very mingy about this kind of thing. I mean, I know that he, he, he did an interview for his band with his band a couple of years back. And that kind of made, you know, the social media rounds because people were asking about his acting career and he's like, I'm not here to talk about this. Mm. And the, the the guy who was interviewing him sort of uh, didn't take it lying down and then was like, well, why do you think people are going to see you? And let's let's be honest here, you know, bands can, the celebrities, movie stars can, can try and convince themselves and live in this state of denial that people are going to see their bands because uh, of, of some independent merit that they've got. But people were going to these shows to rubberneck on Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. And let's face it, that, that's probably interesting for two minutes. And then then you realise that you're going to be spending the rest of your night watching a, um, what, by all accounts, is, is, is a shitty cover band. And I don't see how that's going to please anyone. I mean, fans of the Velvet Underground are going to be bored and have probably seen better cover bands. So I'm not surprised that this happened. Um, I just think it's kind of funny that they've just put their their tail between their legs and have just kind of uh, run away from this. But I'm not really terribly surprised that no, this I, went down. It, it's one of those things. People, you know, I mean, it, it sold out uh, in in York. It was it was sold out um, within minutes, and that's what I can't do with people wanting to go and see a Velvet Underground covers band. It was because it was I mean, it was all billed as. Macaulay Culkin's band. I mean, I, I actually went to see um, Steven Seagal uh, in Leeds when he played there a few years ago, um, and it was quite. It was a small venue, and you know, I, a couple of us went up to him afterwards because he he did just kind of mingle around and go up to people and sort of chat to people, which was you know, which was quite fucking good. Him, but we went up to sort of say something to him, and he, the first thing he did say to us was, "I'm not going to talk about my movies." And then proceeded for forty minutes to chat to us about his movies, um, and he was, you know, to be honest, he was a, he was quite a, a nice guy and quite a, you know, he he, he seemed to speak quite, you know, well, uh, uh, fondly about his movies, and he wasn't one of those who was going to shit on him. And you know, we barely got a word in edgeways. He spent about twenty minutes talking. So my, about my, my image of that. My image of that, my expectation would be. Do you remember that? Um, was it Steven Seagal Lawman, that reality show yeah. that he did? And. And I've always loved the beginning of that because it opens with a shot of him and he's like, hi, I'm Steven Seagal. That's right, Steven Seagal. <laughs> like, like, and he pauses for a second just to let that sink in for like a moment. And I could just imagine him doing that. And other people are weird about it as well. Like, I mean, apparently, um, Kevin Costner, when he plays, he's got these, he's got video walls at all of his gigs, even if they're small pubs. He has video walls like he's playing at like the NEC or the Evening News Arena or something. And it's all clips from his movies. And it ends with the build it and they will come, build it and they will come. And it just echoes as him and the band walk out on stage. So he's kind of like just been, it's almost as though he understands the fact that people are there just to see him being Kevin Costner, but Kevin Costner playing guitar. And I'd imagine the appeal is the fact that 
it takes a, an egotistical um, sort of spirit and, and personality type to want to be a movie star. But being a movie star, you don't get that instant gratification of an audience and the adulation apart from when you're at premieres. Yeah. So I can't help but think that, you know, rock stars want to be actors and actors want to be rock stars because there's, there are certain um, ego, ego gratification uh, elements that are unique to each form and i think that a truly egotistical personality would want to sample and kind of bathe in both both forms yeah it's it's the it's the why the fuck not i can i can do it kind of thing i mean a prime example at the moment is you know jared leto you know his band have been phenomenally successful you know um in terms of you know the amount of records they've sold and you know and then the guy's just won a fucking oscar um but yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing um, Dogstar at a festival, um, and yeah, Keanu Reeves got a lot of shit thrown at him. Yeah, I mean, they they, they talked a lot. I mean, weirdly enough, kind of, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a trivia nugget here. Uh, one of my favourite bands of all time, Weezer, their first ever show was supporting Dogstar. Was it really? Okay. Yeah, like they were sort of milling around trying to form a band, and the and the singer in the band was offered this gig, and he essentially put Weezer together to go and um, to support Dogstar. So, you know, in my opinion, something good came out of that. Dogstar? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> to a lesser degree. Gordon, what else have we got? Okay, and uh, Tom also says, last year I predicted that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy would be Marvel's first uh, flop. What's the most stupid film prediction you've ever made? Me, that Avatar would drop 50% in its second weekend and, and everyone would see it for the average average film that it was uh mine mine was also avatar themed uh i i predicted that avatar would be a massive fucking flop and wouldn't even make back half of its budget <laughs> oh you see I, I i went the other direction and this is funny this was pointed out to me because um somebody i can't remember who it was it might be noel actually but somebody sent us a lovely voicemail which was the top 10 most stupid things said on chin stroker versus bunter um <laughs> Which you know must have taken a fair amount of editorialising, I'd imagine. But they, but but and they actually played the clip. And that's the great thing about doing podcasts and blogging is that you've all, you, you've got these ridiculous um, pieces of of speculation and guesswork forever trapped in amber. And he played us his clip, and it just starts with me with us talking about how inevitably incredible. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would be, and how it was impossible for it to be disappointing or bad. Do you know what? The Mondo movie guys did something very similar to that. There was one where Dan is talking about how fucking much he's looking forward to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And like, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Oh, the trailer's amazing. It's him, yeah, him it's and Spiel, Spielberg or Troll of Lucas. And, and the thing, I, I went full Herzog, and I, 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 I like said I'd like eat my own shit or something if it was awful. Um, and I have not got around to doing that yet. I'm not going. It's not going to be a documentary of you know, <laughs> soggy and documentary me doing that anytime soon. You can eat your kids' shit. At least it's runny. Yeah, why drink not? Drink it okay. like a shake. Um, That'll be first first vidcast. Nice. <laughs> and there's one more I think in the room. Uh, yeah, at Rick J Kid. After overcon- overconfident Groves got KO'd by Frotch, what movie character getting their comeuppance made you cheer? Um, oh, oh! I've got one. Literally, I hadn't actually heard that question before. Uh, well, I hadn't seen that question on Twitter, and one that's jumped straight to my mind is the meathead uh, army guy 
in uh, District 9. You know, the indestructible guy who just does horrible, vile things to people. And you think he's dead, and then he comes back. And when he finally gets it, that was a real kind of like, oh, thank God somebody put that douchebag down. Mm. That's a good one, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, fuck. I think of one for this now. Um... Oh, uh, well, one that, one that jumps to mind uh, is First Blood. First Blood, where you've got Brian Dennehy um, and uh, Stallone basically takes out his entire fucking force and then just pops up out of nowhere uh, and puts the, the knife to his throat and basically says, look, if I want to kill you, I can kill you. Uh, I could have killed everybody here, but I haven't. You're out of your element. Fucking let it go. And then Brian oh, Dennehy, he gives he gives the he gives probably my all time favorite line in cinema, and I I'm not joking. I probably use this phrase at least once or twice a week, um, usually to Becky about something uh, in jest. Uh, is the the great line of "You want a war? I'll give you a war you won't believe." Uh, <laughs> it's just glorious. Uh, if anything is on my fucking tombstone, I want it to be that. <laughs> Just Do you know what? I think Robocop at the end. Um oh. fucking when um is it is it Ronnie Cox or is it no, he's the older guy, isn't he? Oh fuck. Yeah, he's the old man. Yeah. Oh shit, the other one. Um oh fuck, who's he played by? Oh, that's gonna bother me when um um when he, he says Dick, you're fired and then Robocop's just like, Thank you. And then just like shoves him out. Oh of yeah, that's fucking that fucking amazing. You know, to be fair, the toxic waste guy in RoboCop's a pretty good moment for that as well. Yeah, another one that's just sprung to mind for me is uh, Paxton saying that he's got a small dick in True Lies. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that's that, that that's a mighty as fault. I mean, he doesn't. You know, I mean, uh, in the great movie scheme of things, he's not really that evil. But that's that's a pretty good come up and calling out the size of your own member. <laughs> Yes. Uh, right. Is that, is that? Oh no! It was Ronnie Cox. It was Dan O'Hurley. He was the old man. Oh yes, you're right. You're right. Oh man. Okay. Anyway. Uh, right. Good question. Uh, that's. Is that all the questions? It's all the questions we had, wasn't it? Yeah. It is indeed. So. Right, yeah. Thank you very much for uh, sending questions. We always appreciate them. Remember, uh, like um, Rich Jacob did, uh, send them in at any point. You don't have to wait till we ask. Uh, we're always. Happy to get them. Um, that was episode 68. Um, thank you very much uh, again, Mike from Chin Strokers versus Punters. <laughs> no problem. So, uh, closer that time. Yeah. I think. For, for uh, oh, sorry, I've just I, I've just thought actually what, what, one last one last thing for your for your listeners here is um, if, if you're listening along to the 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 apes talk that you've got um, a really good documentary like a two hour plus documentary on the making of those original films is out on YouTube. Um, it's under two titles. It's sometimes called Behind the Planet of the Apes. It's sometimes called Beyond the Planet of the Apes. It's the same thing. It's a really exhaustive kind of deep look at all of the apes' movies. It's on the Blu-ray set. Uh, it, it's, um, I, I'm not... On, it's on, I'm, I've got my like DVD set here. It's on that. I know, I know it's on the DVD set. I, I don't know about, I don't know I about think the Blu-ray it's set. On the, I think it's on the, planet, the original Planet of the Apes disc in the Blu-ray set. I'm yeah, very, I mean, if you... If, yeah. If you've got access to that, like through through the Blu-ray or DVDs, or or just through checking it out on, on YouTube, um, it's it's a it's a it's a really um, really interesting watch. 
heartily recommend that. Very nice. Cool. Uh, Ian, anything to add before we go? No, I've got to go and look after the kids, so no. Cool. <laughs> right. Uh, again, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for listening, people. And we shall be back with our final instalment of our other marathon that we did before this with the uh, commentary for Conan the Barbarian. Thank you very much. Peace out. Bye.